Many of you probably came to know about this little incident that I had a week ago at the Alliance Men's Retreat where I went tubing and ended up taking what they call a wipeout and a full face plant on the snow. But by the grace of God, I had a few scratches and one little cut that has healed very quickly. I'm so thankful to God for that because I was scheduled to preach five times in the next four days at our Toronto Spiritual Life Conference and God enabled me to do that with very little discomfort except for the first day. I'm also very, very thankful to, for the men of our Alliance men who were just so solicitous and so uh, loving in their care for me after that time. And it certainly helped me uh, connect myself even more with them. So I'm just very thankful to God for that. Now, that's the good news story. Behind that is a, an amazing story. About five years ago when I was in Florida, I was actually doing some photography at the Sarasota Jungle Gardens there, and I was looking down to adjust my tripod at one point, and my glasses fell down, and the left lens got shattered completely. Well, you know, I was, I was by myself at that time. I was 25 minutes away from where we were staying. And so I kind of had to drive with basically looking through one eye, even to the mirror on this side, and somehow managed to get home safely. Well, something like that always finds its way into a sermon illustration, right? So very, very shortly after that, I must have shared that in some sermon illustration. Well, fast forward five years to, the, uh, to noon this past Saturday, I mean a week ago yesterday. There was a couple from this church who happened to be listening to that tape, uh, that particular message. And they heard the story of the broken glasses. And the tape stopped at that point and kept recycling back to the beginning. So the lady said, Irene, I think God wants us to pray for Pastor Sundar right now. They prayed at 12 o'clock and I had my accident at 3. I can never prove it for you mathematically or scientifically, but you will never convince me otherwise that God's hand was not upon me because somebody was praying. And you know, even more humbling, when I thought back to that time five years ago, I was kind of irritated when that happened. Little did I realize that a sovereign God was orchestrating an illustration for a sermon that five years later would, on a stuck tape, induce people to pray for me three hours before I needed to do it. That's the God that we serve. Why do we have to be afraid? We have a sovereign God who is so unbelievably orchestrating every single detail of our lives and then inviting us to be partners with Him in accomplishing His purposes through this amazing activity called prayer and worship. All of which is a perfect um, backdrop for the new series that we're starting today. Called, it's a three-week series called Transitions. Many of you are aware, probably most of you are aware, that we have, in the last two years or so, have been in the process of searching for a preaching pastor to replace me eventually. Uh, the goal was to have him on board by the end of 2013 which would then allow us a two-year overlap, both to be mentored by myself and other leaders in this church. You also know that it didn't work out that way. And so, we have learned a lot during that process. And we gave a report to you that the elders have taken this as a time to just go slow and not just rush into the process once again until we've learned everything that we need to in this time. So, we're in a phase of uncertainty that we thought would be all finished by last December. Now we're in this together. It's like we're in a continuing time of uncertainty. And uncertain times always produce questions. Now you probably have some questions. I certainly do about the future. And uh, they may not necessarily be the same questions. But there is one question I think that applies to you and to me and all of us, regardless of where we are in our questioning phase in this time of uncertainty. And that is, how do we, how are we as a people 
to live in uncertain times, especially when this uncertainty involves transition at a major leadership level. And we've been in that kind of transition for several years now. From sudden unexpected transitions when Pastor Nancy just went home to be with the Lord over a three-day period, to the much more gradual and planned transition that we've had. And of course, whether you like it or not, the pulpit is a very visible, important part of the church's life. And precisely because these three sermons may not answer all of your questions, we've planned in the next two services, not today, but next week and the week after that, to actually incorporate about eight to ten minutes at the end of each sermon to just uh, answer any questions you have that maybe the sermons themselves didn't address. Or maybe even raised, who knows, maybe the sermons will raise more questions than they answer. So we only need to be thinking about that. Now the search process has involved finding the right person. But as I've shared with you often in the context of marriage, for example, Single people who want to be married would be wise to not so much focus on finding the right person as becoming the right kind of people. Because so often that determines the timing and the way in which God brings the right person. A wise church would do exactly the same thing. Yes, the elders are responsible for finding the right person, but you as a congregation and myself included in that, we would be wise to focus far more on becoming the right kind of people so God will bring the right person and entrust that person to us. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on today and next week's sermon. And Pastor Chris will complete the third one with an with a outward focus dimension of what it means to be the right kind of people. One general comment before I actually get started. These two sermons today and next week haven't really been the product of a whole lot of book study. They've actually come out much more from times of, uh, from the heart side. From the time of uh, personal communion with God in prayer and us as a staff. During our solemn assembly week, I told you that every afternoon the staff were meeting for a time of listening time. And the kind of the framework that I'd given to them was, don't do anything different. Don't go looking. Read where you're normally reading in the Bible. Read the devotional literature that you're normally using anyway. Minister to the people that you're normally ministering to. Pay attention to everything that's happening. And see what God might be saying to you about this uncertain time where we are at. And so we kept a detail, I kept a detailed record of everything that people were saying. And so a lot of my, um, during this sermon and next week, you'll be hearing many insights that have come from the staff. An entire staff, in a sense, has prepared, has helped me prepare these two sermons. Also, I'm going to be injecting two or three one-liners, which are just power-packed wisdom statements that came as we, as, as an elders board and staff, we also listened to a very important sermon that was preached by the man who followed John Piper at Bethlehem Church. And the sermon was called, The Supernatural is the Strategy. So these are a couple of sources that have fed, my, fed my ser- these two sermons. So that's kind of where we are going at. And the very first, the single word, I had many words when I started preparing this message. And you hear some of them next week. But the first one I want to talk about is faith. Faith is a starting point for becoming the right kind of people until God brings the right person into this pulpit. Faith has been a huge part of our history. Now, though you old-timers here, you know all this stuff. You just need to be reminded of it again, as my heart was thrilled once more when I put it all together. And if you've been coming to this church two years, less than two years or so, some of this will be brand new for you. The founding pastor of this church was a man named Ross Ingram. When Ross graduated from Bible school, he went to Coburg. And in six years, he planted a very effective, fruitful church in Coburg. And then the district asked him whether he'd be willing to come to 2459, or what is 2459 Islington, to plant a church. And I still remember Ross telling us that at that time, this place was a wilderness, believe it or not. So much so that when Margie, his wife, saw it, she just broke out into tears. 
Why would I leave Coburg to come to this wilderness? But the thing that settled Pastor Ingram's decision to come here was an article that was published by Dr. A.W. Tozer, who was a prophetic voice in the alliance at that time. And Dr. Tozer's article was basically along these lines. Anybody would be willing to succeed for God. Are you willing to fail for God? And it was that question that basically cemented Pastor Ingram's decision to come here and start building. So, here's the first thing you need to know. A, a risky obedience born of faith in God was built into the DNA of Rexdale from its very inception. A risky obedience born of faith in God was built into the DNA of Rexdale from its very inception. That was 1961. Just over a year later, the church had grown enough that they wanted to buy this piece of land and build so they had to make an application to the Royal Bank of Canada. Now, in the estimate of the Royal Bank of Canada, the branch manager at least, the church wasn't big enough to support the size of the loan. And so the bank manager said, there's no point sending this, it's not going to be approved. Well, Pastor Ingram, being a man of faith, said, hey, just a minute, there's a problem with your form though. Well, this kind of shocked branch manager said, what's the matter? He said, there's no room for faith in this form at all. Will you please send it on? So he prevailed upon him to send it on anyway. And much to the consternation of the surprise of the bank manager, the head office or the powers that be approved the loan. And so this first building was built. Now fast forward 19 years, 18 years from that point. That ministry of faith continued to the point where the church had grown to over 600 people. Three more building additions, including this sanctuary that you're sitting on, which was completed in 1979. And then in 1980, Pastor Ingram felt a strong call that would not go away to help plant the alliance in England. And so the church, the leadership, took another massive step of faith at that point. In, he'd been the only pulpit voice that people had ever heard for 19 years, for all practical purposes. And they... And chose to entrust that to a layman in the congregation who never preached in any church before and never gone to Bible college. Fortunately, that experiment is still continuing, you know, uh, almost 34 years after that. But it was an incredible step of faith. And Pastor Downey, who was called to be the senior pastor at that time, showed his commitment to faith in every Sunday stepping back and allowing the visible power position in the church to be handed to a person who was 15 years younger than him and who knew nothing for all practical purposes as far as church ministry was concerned. And he joyfully continued to shepherd me and teach me so many things about church life that I knew nothing about. Weddings and funerals and meetings. I didn't know anything about those things. Then fast forward a few more years to some more recent times. In 2005, the elders of our church launched a very ambitious financial, uh, financial campaign called the Imagine Campaign, uh, with, a, with a goal to raise nearly $5 million for both local and global initiatives that would advance the kingdom of God. What made it a particularly risky step was at the time when they took the final decision to move ahead, there was a lawsuit that was hanging over our head that was demanding millions of dollars in interest payments going back 23 years. Well, exactly three weeks after the elders made that decision, the very Sunday we launched that Imagine campaign in this church, the family that had taken us to court was here with us, worshipping with us, because God had orchestrated a thoroughly biblically-based reconciliation process, which also involved appropriate restitution. And then in 2008, three years later, the elders made another decision to continue the Imagine campaign so that we will reach our original goal to its full extent. And what happened was that I was planned to launch in October of 2008. And everybody remembers what October 2008 was like. We were in the midst of the steepest financial depression this world has known since the Great Depression. 
from which we still haven't come out. And again, God was faithful. And so this faith that was built into the DNA has continued to find a variety of expressions in Rexton. So that, that took us up to 2008. Then in 2009, as you know, we launched our study of the book of Isaiah. And for four years, over various periods of time, what did we keep hearing? If you will not stand firm in faith, we will not stand firm at all. Let me remind you of the setting in the book of Isaiah where that particular verse is found. Chapter 7 of Isaiah. In the days of King Ahaz, the king of Syria and the son of the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. It was a time of instability and fear because of an uncertain future. Only in this case, the uncertain future involved captivity and all the physical pain and suffering, deportation and the emotional devastation. That was the prospect that was before them and their hearts were shaking. Instability caused by fear. Now for us in our situation, the fear is not because of the possibility of physical damage that this church is going to come and be raised to the ground by bulldozers and we're going to be persecuted. There's nothing like that. But, but it's still, uncertainty produces instabilities and instability can produce all kinds of fear. It is in that context that for four years through Isaiah, God has reminded us to stand firm in faith, knowing that we would be entering this phase of uncertainty. When I started Isaiah in 2009, I didn't know all this thing was going to happen, that we'd be in the beginning of 2014 uncertain. Do you see how well and how much God knows in advance and how he plans all of these things? And then in recent times, just this past year, since Isaiah was concluded in May, we've had two more reinforcements of that call to faith. In September, in our September day of prayer, the elders meet four times a year for blocks of time to pray, in addition to the regular board meeting. The September one is an extended one. In that September prayer meeting, there was just a week before the board meeting in which they had to make their final decision about the couple of candidates that we'd been thinking about. As we prayed through that day and attempted to discern what God was saying to us, this was what came through. That in a time of uncertainty, we might want clarity. What God is asking us is to have faith. It is not so much clarity that we need as much as faith. And then if you were here for Thursday night, bringing it right up to date, if you were bringing, coming here for a Thursday night of solemn assembly, you might remember that Pastor Mark and Vijay blessed our elders here with audacious faith for the future. So from 1961 to 63 to 1980 to 2005 to 2008 and then 2009 to 13 all the way through we're being called to be a people of faith as the first dimension of becoming the right kind of people. And while most of these illustrations have involved pastors and elders and leaders it is not just for us. An entire congregation is being called to that. Uh, let's look at these verses uh, the Apostle Paul writing to Corinthians. Our hope is that as your faith increases our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Notice Paul's logic here. Paul is saying, first of all, I want your faith to increase. When your faith increases, my influence through my preaching will increase in you and then together we will be able to take the gospel to new areas. Do you see how they work together? A congregation's faith makes the preaching of the word effective and results in an outward thrust. Your faith becomes crucially important. The faith of a congregation's faith is essential for them to be led into new missional ventures. And the recent global poverty initiative that was finished is a beautiful example of that. 
The initiative for this whole thing, by the way, came from a layman in this congregation. It wasn't something that the leadership thought of. It was an idea that a layman wrote to us about. And as a staff, we recognized the genesis of this idea. And so we began to work upon it and were able to lead you in the direction that we did. And you responded spectacularly. Where over and above, by the way, you should know that your regular December giving didn't suffer. In fact, we received more than the previous year. And in addition to that, you gave nearly $100,000 for Global Poverty Initiative, which is an outward. You fulfilled 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think that is just the mercy drops of much, much more that's going to happen like that. So staff, elders, board of deacons, finance board, all of us, we're being called to be a people of faith as we wait for God to bring the right people. Now, faith needs to have some shape to it. It's not just left generally. Faith has contours. There's specific dimensions to faith. And there's two of them that I want to talk about today. On the Monday of our uh, solemn assembly listening exercise, uh, Cheryl Guinness, who's our director of women's ministries, when it came to her time for sharing where she was at, one day she said, I really feel that this transition, this pulpit transition we're talking about, she said it's going to be a Moses to Joshua transition. Where for 30 odd years we've had a strong, solid foundation built and now we need to settle the land. Well, it kind of stuck with me, you know, as we went along. It resonated with me, so as I was preparing this message, I went back to chapter 1 of Joshua. To see specifically what God would say to me through that. Here are some verses from it, and I want to comment on that. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three things struck me from this passage that being pertinent to giving faith some shape and some dimension. The first thing he said was, Moses my servant is dead. But I will be with you as I was with Moses. And he reinforces that in verse 9 when he says, Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. One wise saint of many years, I've forgotten his name, but I remember the, oh, the one line he said, God buries his workmen and carries on with his work. Yeah, I'm not going to be here until I die, I don't think that. But when I leave, God will be here. When I leave, Jesus, this Jesus that we have been celebrating this morning, this Jesus who said, I will build my church and I am the chief cornerstone of the church, he will be here. And the Holy Spirit will be here because you are the living stones that are being built up into a holy priesthood. And the elders will be here. You know, people used to wonder, some of you know Harvey Crouch, who are here for you know. And people say, well, who's going to replace Harvey Crouch? Well, God raised up Frank Buchanan. Not too far behind Frank Buchanan was John Newfa. And as John is reaching and has passed that dignified stage of 80 plus, there are behind him elders who are in their 60s, 50s, 40s and 30s in this church. There will always be elders in this church who love Jesus and love Rexdale Alliance Church. You know, when John Piper was at Bethlehem, some of you may not know, he started preaching at Bethlehem Church the same year I started preaching at Rexdale. 
And he and I are exactly the same age. All the similarities end there, by the way. You know. <laughs> but a few years ago, when he was talking about the transition that would come to Bethlehem, he said, Bethlehem, there is a post-John Piper era coming to Bethlehem, and it will be a good one because the elders will still be here. And I want to say that there will be a post-Sunda era coming to, to this church. Quickly, a long time, I don't know. But it's coming. And it will be a good time because the elders will be here. And because above all, God the Father and Jesus the Son will be here. That's the first thing you need to remember. That's the first dimension of shape, God's presence. The second thing God says to Joshua is, Yeah, Moses is dead, so you better get up and go and lead the people into the land that I'm giving to them. And the sequence of God says, I will give you the land and you will cause the people to inherit. So when I die, leave, there's a Joshua coming to whom God has given new territory that he will cause you to inherit, which I will not have been able to. Not because he's better than me or I'm better than him. It has to do with gifts and callings and what God chooses to do with this congregation. There's new territory that has to be taken. And I'm not the one who's going to lead you in there. I'll keep preparing you like Moses prepared the transition for Joshua. And only God knows the timing. But he's coming and he's going to lead you into a new place. Because God will give it to him and he will cause you to go there. So here's a one-liner from Jason Myers that is important. Transitions are a time to ponder anew what God can do that will give you more of God. You don't want me one day longer than God giving you more of himself to me. As soon as that day starts, you need somebody else. Who will continue to give you more of God. So transitions are a time to ponder anew what God can do that will give you more of God. Now the third thing is also important. Even though Joshua will come and lead the people in a new territory. Even though there was a day when Moses died. God also said one thing to Joshua in this text. He said, be strong and courageous to do everything that Moses commanded you to do. So you see, Joshua will bring in some new initiative. Joshua will take his people to the promised land. But there are some values that will not change. There are some things that Moses commanded Joshua that Joshua will continue to pay attention to. And as I began to reflect upon that dimension, because there isn't much written in, 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 in the Pentateuch about the things that Moses specifically commanded Joshua. But there's one incident, one statement in the Bible that speaks volumes to me. Which, is, which will be, I guess... Uh, um, uh, I guess in, in a nutshell, uh, this capturing this idea that while there will be much newness, there will be some old things that will not change and should not change. And it has very much to do with this issue of presence. Because God said to Joshua, what? I will be with you as I was with Moses. And Moses had carefully cultivated in Joshua a passion for the presence of God. Let me take you a few years back in Israel's history. The Israelites, had, the Israelites were down in the valley while Moses was up in the mountain and they'd already led the people into that sin of the golden calf. Moses came down, broke the stone tablets, broke that idol, 3,000 people dead, dead in the wilderness. Moses went back and pleaded with God to have mercy upon them. All of that happened and then God says to Moses, okay, just get up from this place and go. Uh, I'm sending my angel before you and he's going to take you into the promised land and he's going to blow away all the opposition and I'm going to lead you into land of milk and honey. Now the people reacted to that and they called it distressing or disastrous words. Now you might just say, just a minute, that doesn't sound like very distressing words to me. 
That would be like somebody coming and saying to you, Guys, I'm going to send an angel before you, before Rexdale Alliance Church. I'm going to blow away all the opposition in Vaughan, in connections, and everywhere. I'm going to give you all this territory out here because I'm going to send my angels before you. I don't think you're going to say, Oh, that's, not, that's bad. <laughs> you're probably going to say, Well, rub my hands and glee and say, Come on, bring it on. We're ready. So that you can leave. You know, we need that place. We're going to ready to. So what made it so distressing? You know what made it so distressing? Because God said, I'm not coming with you. It was the possibility of success without presence that devastated Moses. And he said, I'm not going. I'm not settling for that. And so this is what Moses pleaded with God for his presence. Do not send us up from here without your presence. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting, where he pleaded with God. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then notice this little sentence that has crept in there. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. He said, I'm going to keep seeking for this presence. That's what he learned. And this is what God is saying. Joshua, don't forget things that Moses taught you. Yes, the promise of my presence doesn't mean you have to stop asking for it. I will tell you this without any hesitation. My greatest joy if I leave, and when I leave, not if, when I leave, is to know that this church has not lost its passion for personal and corporate prayer, desperately seeking the presence of God in everything. My greatest sadness will be if we depart from that. Yes, there will be all kinds of new things that the Joshua will bring and must bring. All kinds of new territory for you to seek. But don't ever settle for success without presence. And so that's the specific dimension of faith. The faith that believes God when he says, I will be with you. And the faith that therefore keeps on seeking for that presence on the basis of that word. So that general call to faith has now taken some specific uh, shapes and Jason Myers one liner said this in transitions the issue is not the continuity of giftings but faith in the continuity of God's presence can I say that again in transitions the issue is not the continuity of giftings almost certainly the new Joshua will come will be different than me in many areas and as well it should be because he's going to take you into new areas but the continuity is one of God's presence with us okay now the next question, which will answer another dimension of faith is, what new territory? What will this new territory look like? It was very clear for them, for Israel it was physical, it was physical, physical Canaan. But with with clear, clear boundaries that marked out, thus far and no further. It wasn't up to them to say, oh we're going to go here and go there. God told them exactly what territory he's going to give them, and they don't go one step beyond that. But we don't have that. Geography is not the territorial issue. I mean, it can be community, but it's people's hearts. But what will this new territory look like? Well, the fact of the matter is we don't know at this point. And that's where another dimension of faith comes in. Faith waits for a vision to come in its time. On December the 18th, as part of my regular Bible reading program, we really try to make this a natural way of listening to God, not go looking for things. But then you are far more likely to inject your own ideas into the process. I read these verses in Habakkuk. It was an Old Testament prophet. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. 
but the righteous shall live by his faith. In the local context, uh, the vision was a reference to Habakkuk's prophecy that Judah was going to be punished by Babylon and captured. And Babylon in turn would then eventually, the proud Babylon would be captured by Medo-Persia. But the principles apply to us today. And there are four things about vision in a nutshell that I want to mention for you. First of all, it says there is an appointed time for a vision from God. God reveals these things at a certain time, not before, not later. Secondly, it's going to seem slow. Because it says, if it seems slow, wait for it. God's ways will often seem to us much, much slower than we want things to move. We're learning that. We're in the midst of that, right? He he took care of that. Our timeline wasn't his timeline. Thirdly, when it does, human pride will have a temptation to take matters into its own hand because we are a puffed up people. We think we can make it happen. Whereas the righteous will live by faith and wait for God. This was a recurring theme, by the way, during our uh, staff listening exercise. Uh, Candace, who directs our Mamzerai's ministry, um, she was using a devotional that somebody had given to her, I think. I don't remember who it was. might have been Henry Nahan, but I'm, sure, I'm thinking it's somebody else. And on a couple of days, she read for us what she had heard from God, and they spoke exactly to this situation. I've kind of put, put in two days' readings together. You will get, this is God speaking through the devotional, you will get enough light for the next step. Be content with little light rather than a powerful dream that would take away all the shadows. Not knowing the whole picture will keep you on your knees. <laughs> much, much stress results from your wanting to make things happen before their times have come. One of the main ways I assert my sovereignty is in the timing of events. My opening illustration showed you that too, right? If you want to stay close to me and do things my way, ask me to show you the path forward moment by moment. Instead of dashing headlong towards your goal, let me set the pace. Slow down and enjoy the journey in my presence. That same evening that Candace shared this with us, upper room led us in, their, in our solemn assembly time, and you remember one of the things that Vijay shared with us, how, what they have been learning, that in every dimension of the Christian life, from conversion to spiritual growth to money to facilities and to mission, there were two factors involved, timing and miracle, timing and miracle. You prayed for a miracle, that's next week's message, and you wait for the timing. So that's the the second dimension. You're called to faith. It's faith in God's presence and a faith that continues to seek for an intensification of that presence and faith that waits for the vision to come patiently and not take matters into its own hands. But as we wait for that, he has given us a couple of glimpses. You'll hear more of it in the third message on the community dimensions. But... Again, going back to what Cheryl Guinness said, as she, where she first talked about this being a Moses-Joshua transition and the need to settle the land, she went on to add a couple more things that she felt God was saying to us. He said, we've done a good job of settling the land, which is ministering to our community, uh, in the more obvious dimensions of its need. Uh, through neighborhood connections, through the living water food pantry, uh, through... Uh, the uh, mums arise ministries where the obvious material and psychological needs uh, are being addressed. But she said we haven't done anywhere near that kind of a job penetrating the upper echelons in this area, whether it be the schools or the businesses, for example. Uh, and she told us a story how she had been talking to some mothers in her sphere of influence, not people who come to this church, but in the community mothers, who had all gone to school at TCI, over there, who had all gone to school at TCI. And then when Cheryl mentioned Rexdale Alliance Church, you know what they all said? Where is it? 
People went to school at TCI, didn't know where Rexdale Alliance Church was. That was a powerful moment for us. And then Pastor Sam shared one, one day when he came in. He'd been sick and missed the early part. He came in. The first time he shared, he said, I would think of a community that whenever it thinks of Rexdale, people in the community say, wow, that church is always thinking about us. So while we don't know exactly what shape this new territory will look like, we have enough indication. The early indications are that's going to involve some significant way to bless our community. But we go one step at a time. Our focus in the meantime is becoming the right kind of people. Today you've been called to be, be a people of faith with us. A faith that continues to believe that God will be here no matter who comes and goes. A faith that continues to seek God for that belief. And a faith that is willing to wait for the vision to come in its time and not arrogantly seize matters into our own, own hands. Dig deeper through the study guides. If you're in your small groups, they've been written to just help you explore the subject of faith a bit more. Um, if you're not part of a small group, get the study guide and think about some other questions that might come and come back next week. But for, this, for today, just remember this one word. We're being called to be a people of faith. For as your faith increases, the sphere of our influence, mine, Joshua's, will increase among you. And you will, there is new territory that we will be led into to conquer for. I want you to think about one thing right now in your life, something that you actually want to do, but you're afraid. Or maybe something that you feel you ought to do, but you're afraid. I want you to think about that specifically, okay? I want to speak my blessing into that fear. May you call upon this great name that you've been singing about this morning. And as you do, may you feel his embrace. May that embrace work rest into your soul and put your fears to rest. And may faith well up within your heart to enable you to take those steps of obedience. And then may you see Jesus be faithful to his promise and you will find him there. Go in Jesus' name.